Hello everyone, how's it going? Welcome back. Uh, today is a very special day. We're going to start with our season two of the podcast. Um, so yeah, so it's going to be our first episode of the new rebrand podcast, The Service Journal. Welcome back to everyone. Uh, we had a great conversation in our last episode with Science and today we're going to continue bringing more information and more leaders. Today, I, this is uh, another special day just because uh this uh yeah this guest and i we deployed together and we were back in hawaii and we're gonna talk about his career and, and where, where he came from and, and where he at right now he was born and raised in washington dc not too far from here for those that don't know that know i'm in richmond virginia so two hours from here from here enjoy he joined the army in 2008 at 20 years old uh he actually selected to be a 92 yankee a unit supply specialist and we're going to talk about that and uh and like i mentioned before we met in hawaii in uh 25th id or um back then now he's in korea and camp humphreys now i welcome uh staff Sian newsom uh i'm tom newsom hey how's it going man welcome hey what's going on hey it's great to having you on the show man appreciate it for for being here and say yes to my invitation how's it going Oh man, it's it's great. So I want to start by saying, hey, this is an amazing platform. Just walking through the door, you know, when I was invited on here, uh, there was no way I was going to say no to Captain Kylo for this, because uh, I was not going to turn down a great opportunity to uh, be on something great that's happening. Yeah, so, yeah appreciate it. Appreciate it for for being here again. Like uh, him and I could go back to like back in time. Uh, this is small army. We, you know, like the the people, the the personnel or the service member that are in the army, they know we have our all saying that the army is a small place, right? This is a small place, so we all know one each other, right? So we have people all the way. Yeah. So so okay. So let's talk. Let's talk about you. Like, let's focus about who is Silent First Class Antoine Newsom. Uh, just go back in time and then go back to Washington D.C. and then talk to us like who you are. Who you can, where you came from and how you're you're interested in the army like how i uh, just talk talk about that all right so uh, i'm antoine newsom of course and uh so when we talk about uh going back in time we talk about me you know washington dc i'm a um i'm the middle child of two other kids uh by my mom i grew up in a single family household um so my mom definitely had to uh, do a lot to kind of um, raise us to where we are now. Mm -hmm. um, so shout out to my mom and everything she does. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, again, I, I grew up in uh, in Washington, D.C. Um, I had a younger brother, an older sister. We stayed in a, a, a two-bedroom apartment. Um, and throughout that time, you know, uh, I, I, I had to kind of learn how to navigate around having an older sister gotcha. and also being a, a great older brother, but also being the, the middle child. You know, it was often we used to always argue about just the remote of the TV. Mm -hmm. So I spent a lot of my my child, my youth time outside uh, planning, you know, the local areas. So um, again, uh, back in D.C., so uh, I met my wife when we were in high school, you know, kind of fast forwarding it. Uh, 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 my wife is my high school sweetheart. Gotcha. 
So, you know, it's funny because trying to talk about yourself, it, it, it gets a little, it gets yeah. a little shaky sometimes you talk about yourself. So I met my wife in high school, uh-huh. whereas though uh, we end up moving out of my mom's house, she kind of been mo- motivated me to become this, this adult that I am to today. Okay. Um, so she has she she got- a pillar behind what you are right now. So you, all your achievements right now, you can relate back to your wife because she was like giving you that push that you needed at the time. Basically, that's what you're trying to say. Yeah, I, I would say she was definitely the the drive that I have mm-hmm. today. Um, my mom was the drive that got me to where I was. And then my wife kind of picked up the okay. bag along that way and was the drive to take me to the next level. Gotcha. You know, so uh, moving out of my mom's house was like one of the first one of the ideas that my wife has gave me at the time. She was just my girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And then she also was pregnant with our first child. And, okay. You know, living with my mom and, and about to have a baby wasn't like the most uh, ideal uh, situation. Mm-hmm. So she was that driving force to hey, we need to get our own place. And at the time, I was working three jobs. I was working at the wow. Hyatt Regency in Washington, D.C. I was working at Foot Locker part time and Lids. So we ended up moving into like a one bedroom apartment uh, okay. still in D.C., you know, and, and, and you know, she kind of made me want to do better. You know, not just for her, but at least for the outcome of our, our child, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we end up moving from that one bedroom to a two bedroom apartment. And then that kind of once I sat back and thought about it, I was like, you know, uh, I think I want to do something different. Okay. And it was a surprise to her when I said I wanted to join the Army. Um, and she was for it. She was like, OK, let's do it. I've been following you this long. Let's keep doing it. Yeah, so you know. so basically what well, your story is telling us right now that that motivation that drove you to actually look forward for the Army was your child that was coming um, soon, right, basically? That was drove you, like, well, you, yeah. I want to do something else. So so it's funny because it wasn't the fact that, you know, that my child was coming because he came. Uh-huh. He already came before gotcha. I joined the military. And it's a funny story about it because me and my cousin uh, went down to the recruiting station first. Okay. And we tried to take the ASVAB, and I failed. And uh, I failed twice. Uh, you know, I failed okay. twice. My cousin actually uh, passed on the first one, and he shipped off the basic. Um, and once he shipped off the basic, I kind of lost my drive to even join the military. Gotcha. So I, I continued to work and, and do things. Um, but then when uh, once I realized, you know, I want to give this thing a swing again, and, and the recruiter station was right across the street from our apartment. I ended up going over and say, you know, I'm going to try again. And then I passed the ASVAB. I mm-hmm. actually passed it. And I and even then, I still wouldn't have joined the military at first because I asked my job, which is the higher Regency. Um, I was like, hey, uh, I want to travel. I want to be able to move out the, out the state and do, you know, what I'm doing somewhere yeah. else because I was about to become a, the supervisor for the housekeeper department. Okay. And I was like, hey, I want to do this at another hotel outside because I don't want to raise my kid in, in Washington, D.C. in the same atmosphere that I kind of grew up in. Mm -hmm. And once they said, you know, we don't have anything for you, I gave them a, a, you know, a a, a chance to decide, you know, I said, hey, either you send me somewhere else or I I just passed the ASVAB. I'm about to go join the military. And they said, well, let us let us try to figure something out. I dropped my two week notice and and then I, I just followed my heart and went straight into the service. Yeah. So so what was the difference from the first ASVAB to the second ASVAB? Like, what do you think what was the difference, like, not failing the first one versus passing the second one? So I would say 
the first time I took it, mind you, I didn't join the military till I was 20 years old. Mm-hmm. So when I first time I took it, I was 19. Um, and I, I don't think I really had my heart in it because, well, the reason I was going to join, it really wasn't for the right reason in the beginning. My uh, my cousin was a sergeant first class in the Army, which is my older cousin, uh, okay. Aaron. Mm-hmm. He was a sergeant first class already in the Army. He just moved uh, to Maryland gotcha. from Germany. Mm-hmm. And all, and when I went out to his house, he had a townhouse. Uh, he bought, he had this Dodge Magnum with the big <laughs> rims on it. He had a motorcycle. He had every uh, stereotype that you would think that a, a soldier would have. He had but all of them. He had everything. He had everything. And to me, that was the dream I wanted. I wanted uh, to live the Army dream. And he had all that stuff. So when when I was like, yeah, I want to join the army. So he he lined me up to go talk to a recruiter out in Largo Town Center, and 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 really I didn't study for nothing. I thought the army just just needed people. So I just because hey, we're I talking just about went there and just yeah, yeah, we're, we're talking about 2008 that the, the the war was roaring right. So it was like a a little war happening, and then Afghanistan was happening, and Iraq and all this stuff. And you thought in your mind like, yeah, I mean, I just go take it and then go. That's it. That's all I thought. I thought it was like, <laughs> you can't turn me down. In my mind, the army ain't going to turn me down. They need me. I don't need them. And I want my Magnum with the rims. I want my house. I want the bike. I want everything my cousin just showed me. And then, wow. you know, I, I failed it. And I was like, well, reality hit. Let me go back to my Shit. regular job. Go back to my apartment with my wife. I mean, with my girlfriend at the time. And that's just what life is going to be like, you know? So I naturally, I didn't give up. You know, uh, it was it. The turning point was actually when the job was not willing to move me somewhere else. Okay, gotcha. It's when I said, you know, let me go try something else because I know the army is going to send me somewhere. But you know, that's when I kind of took it more serious. Yeah. Um, and it's a fun, a funny story is about that is when I was trying to join the army, I did not finish high school. You know, when my wife got pregnant, um, I ended up going straight into the workforce. You know, because okay. my wife got pregnant at seventeen. Um, I was just turning 18. Um, then, so I just factored in the, the, the math of it is this kid's going to need stuff. This kid's going to need food. This kid's going to need Inframil. You know, I'm going to need to put a roof over our head. My mom can't take care of, you know, me, my girlfriend and our child. Mm-hmm. So what I end up having to do is I end up just leaving school and I end up just following, wow. you know, getting into the workforce. Mm-hmm. So I started out working at a nursing home. After I left the nursing home, I was doing housekeeping at the hotels and, you know, and stuff like that. And then I got the side job. So naturally, um, the, when I, when I actually passed the ASVAD, the army took me to go take my GED. Mm. So when I went and took my GED, um, I passed the GED cause that was one of the stipulations. You got to pass the gotcha. GED. The army actually paid for my education, mm-hmm. uh, starting out before high school. cause I was yeah. on delayed entry. So it kind of, it kind of, helped itself out and then I end up shipping off the basic training and stuff like that. Okay. And then um just talk about that. So why the army? And I know you have your cost and he was selling you the life, but do you take do you take a look on other services, uh sister services like Air Force, Marines, etc. or was straight army, I'm coming in and I'll go. again, I'm coming from an army family. My granddad okay. was in gotcha. the army. My cousin was in the army. Uh, I had I got several cousins that that was in the army. Gotcha. Um, all enlisted. So 
you know, I, I didn't have the the grooming of an airman in my family or the grooming of a sailor in my family. I mean, I do have one uncle that was a sailor, but he was he's out there in Richmond, matter of fact. So, you know, I didn't I didn't have that grooming of these are the other branches. I knew for certain that it was not going to be the Marines. I, I know it wasn't going to be the Marines <laughs> okay. because you, 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 you just see the you see the commercials. And, you know, no, no fault to the Marines. It's just you just automatically you. think. You just think combat. That's all we got in, in the Marines, you know. But but then, you know, naturally, I just joined the Army because I was kind of yeah. groomed for so, the Army. So you, you have family, you have people that to look for in the family that um, actually uh, were serving and served, and then that, that thrive, drove you to actually look for the Army. Uh, and then what about the job? Like, do you want it to be knighted to Yankee or, or something else? So uh, talk about that. So... Um, So once I got down to maps and they started listing out all the jobs that, that you know, that I could get. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they was like food service and this, that, and the third. And I was like, nah, I don't want to cook. Mm -hmm. Um, and they, they listed out all these other jobs. So the one, <clears throat> excuse me, the one thing that stuck out to me about, you know, becoming a 90s Yankee, in my mind, I worked at Foot Locker and I worked at Lids and I worked in a stock room. So I, I knew um, things like inventory and stuff like that. Funny story about becoming a 92 Yankee. I thought that all it was is stacking boxes, counting boxes, and that's all you're <laughs> going to do. So so my thought process of, of becoming a 92 Yankee was just, okay, I'll be in a stock room. I'll be stacking boxes. Okay. There's no way they're going to give me any true responsibility other than count yeah. those boxes, move <laughs> them over there, wow. give these guys that box. Okay. And it wasn't until I got into uh, AIT till I realized Man, they got forms and all types of stuff. <laughs> Property and that's work, like, millions of equipment that you have to take care of. Like, I don't know what you're talking about right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so it was definitely different than what I thought it would have been. So, knowing knowing now what I knew then, I still would make the same decision. But I had no, I had no idea of what a '92 Yankee was or what a unit supply specialist <laughs> was in my mind. It was just box counting. Yeah, I, so, I picked the easiest other task. So, so for those that doesn't know that Nighty to Yankee does, can you briefly say uh, explain what they do? A so, Yankee. So, uh, they're they're in charge of all the unit level uh, supply, inventory management, uh, logistical management um, that will help any uh, functioning organization uh, logistically. So. Um, we help provide anything from all classes of supply mm -hmm. to ensure uh, that whoever's in the, or in the uh, organization is capable to move forward and fight uh, on any battlefield. So we're, we're, we're the suppliers the supplier. of, those, of the organization. Yeah, you basically are the supplier of the organization, help with the logistics, ordering, uh, keeping the property book. Uh, you do a lot. Like 92 Yankees, like they do a lot on the unit. Like... Uh, we call them that they are the best friend of the commanders, like TR, right? I'm Brian Rome. Yeah, but you know, the, you know, they, but you can say they're the best friend of the commanders. But what I would say is that everybody that says, oh, where's the 98? They swear we're never at work. They swear we're never there. <laughs> nah, they're doing, they're doing a lot of stuff. People don't understand, like, uh, how uh, was the level of the 92 Yankee? You might you might play the the keys and the and the put your PC in the in the desk so people they think they're in the office, but you are doing something. You're picking up the SSA. You're turning stuff uh, in the SSA. You're picking supplies. So you you're doing great things. 
Uh, of course, of course. <laughs> hey, hey I, I appreciate you for all those kind words for the 92 Yankee community. <laughs> I, I mean, I have to. I'm a logistic, so I know. I know. Okay, so select the night of the Yankee because you, you thought you were counting boxes and that's it. So what next? So you went to basic. So talk about that process. 20 years old, you had a child already, um, your, your girlfriend back in Washington, D.C. So how was that transition now? Uh, this guy from Washington, D.C. getting shipped to uh, BASIC. Talk about that experience. So just before we go, so just to backpedal just a little yeah, bit. So before I left for BASIC, I did, me and my wife got married January uh, January 15, 20, uh, 2008. Um, we had got married prior to me leaving because there was no way I was going to leave my family uh, behind, you know, especially when, We had just, uh, she just backed me with going in the Army. So we got married prior to me going to uh, to uh, basic training. So, yeah, I married my high school sweetheart mm -hmm. all the way up until. Um, so then I left off to basic. Uh, my whole family shows up to MAPS. It's crazy because, you know, everybody's just crying. You would have thought I was going to war already. Uh -huh. so as amount of people that was crying there, you know, everybody give me hugs. You stay strong. You do what you got to do out there. You know, and I was just like, where am I going at right now? In my <laughs> mind, I knew I was just going to go somewhere. I was going to get yelled at. And, and you know, and, and, and I just knew it was going to be tougher, you know, yeah. about it. So, so, but when I got to basic, it was, it, you know, it was funny because I told you my cousin was already, uh, yeah. was already an NCO in the military, mm -hmm. you know, and he knew my drill sergeant. So okay. he called my drill sergeant and was like, hey, look out for this guy before he comes. This is my cousin. His name's Antoine. And in my mind, I'm like, that's the hookup. You know, that's the yeah, hookup. Yeah, you know, they're doing great things for you. That is not the hookup. <laughs> I don't know who's watching this, but if your family knows anybody on in the drill sergeant community, I advise them not to call. Because as soon as I got off that bus, and I remember uh, his uh, drill staff sergeant Beckton, Uh, drill sergeant, he he walks up to me. I'm standing in line, and he he walks up. Uh, he walks up and he says, "Hey, how do I know you?" And I was like, "You know, mm -hmm. I'm thinking it's just cool. I just hey, you know my, you know, I'm still Antoine from DC. I'm not, I'm not Private Newsom yet. Private Newsom hasn't started. You know, this yeah. is new. Mm -hmm. So I'm just like, yeah, I think you know my cousin Aaron. You know, I'm just talking to him regularly. How about he's just yelling, and then next you know it." He goes up, he walks out, he goes up front. And then, uh, so I'm thinking, I'm plugged in almost, you know, because he didn't really treat me bad. He just yeah. said whatever he said. Next, you know, he calls me up front. Private Newsom, come up front. So I don't understand how to break ranks at all. So I was going to run straight through the middle, you know, straight through the middle of the formation. Yeah, so he says, that's not how you break ranks. And he makes me run, the, he makes me run <laughs> left because it was the shortest distance. I run left, I run up front. So mind you, Just to paint this picture for you, the, the packing list says wear a white T-shirt. I wore the freshest white T-shirt out the pack that you can Nike. buy Nike. from your local store. Something Nike, yeah. something so no, fresh. It, it didn't have no logo no, 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 on it. It was like just a Hanes, it was a Hanes white tee. I'm talking about icy white, straight out the pack. Mm -hmm. And they made me come up front. And he says, you think your cousin's going to be able to protect you through this? Your cousin called. You thought you was getting a hookup. They made me, now this is the first time I ever heard this. I want you to push until I'm tired. I don't know how that worked. I never knew how that worked. And, and at the end of the day, 
you know, I understood that they were trying to break a stigma. Yeah, yeah. You know, that that it doesn't matter who you know, they're not going to be able to get you through the tough times that you have to get yourself through. And, and you know, it takes for you to learn it now yeah, for you to understand the history. They made me roll left, roll right. That shirt was so <laughs> dirty. When I got into reception, mine was like 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning. Do I didn't you, know where this energy came from. Do you but still, it was fun. Do you still have the T-shirt? <laughs> No, 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 I still have the T-shirt, but I do have communication uh, with the drill sergeant yeah. uh, that that brought me through there. He he has definitely been a mentor uh, throughout my career. That's nice. And uh, you know, and I think he he stayed in contact more because he knew my my cousin. And then it genuinely grew into you know when I became an NCL, he congratulated me and nice. stuff like that. Nice, yeah. It's because like like this is all about the army. Yeah, drill sergeants are not bad people. Like for people that are listening. There is it's the system. The system works like that. The indoctrination they need, like Sam Newsom said, uh, said, he was Antoine from D.C. Now he's becoming a soldier in the U.S. Army. And there's some ways and regulations and rules that you have to follow. And that's what the the purpose of being in basic is to teach you the basic rules of the army. Uh, now you understand. But at the moment, I, I bet you you taught that. Why I'm doing this? Like I thought so. I think so, right? You know, I asked him. I asked him while in basic training. I remember asking him, "Hey, how do I get out of here? <laughs> you know, I don't want to do this no more." Now I wouldn't ask all the other drill sergeants, of course, because I didn't have that rapport with them. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I asked him, "How do I leave basic training?" And he says, "The fastest way to get out of here is to uh, graduate." <laughs> and at the time, I was like, I didn't want to hear that. I got a wife. I got a kid, you know what I mean? I'm grown. Yeah, yeah. No one should be yelling at me this way. And at the end of the day, you know, he was right, you know, because if you if you if you would have stayed and tried to give up in the middle of it, they had a platoon full of guys that didn't want to graduate. Mm -hmm. and, and they just cleaned up all day. But I came and they were there and I left. I graduated. And they were still there. So that's how long the process was wow. to get them in and out. So. Mm -hmm. So to come in for nine weeks and you see a group of people cleaning up, you understand their purpose, and then you graduate in nine weeks and they're still there, you know, that, that can also be like, yeah, this is the fastest way to go. Plus yeah. you're getting paid to do it. You know, I was getting, I, I had a family, so I was getting BH and everything like that from DC. So I was, I was living pretty comfortable for a private, you know? Yep. So the, at the moment you were getting your benefits that uh, the actually army was providing for you, your family. And then you were able, to, although you were getting jailed at the moment, uh, you saw like the, the benefits at the long run, like, Hey, I'm doing this because like my family is receiving the BAH or whatever the case may be. I'm getting a paycheck that maybe it was, it was decent at the moment uh, comparing to the three jobs. Now you're just like playing the games on the army at this point, at this point. Right. Yeah, I mean, and then that's just what it was. Like I said, uh, one, I always had this fear of letting my sons down, you know. So um, when I start something, I always try to finish it because what 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 advice could I give my sons if I always started something and then I quit? Mm -hmm. I can't. I can never expect them to do something that I haven't done myself or I'm not willing to do myself. Mm -hmm. So. Whenever I when I started basic, although my mind frame was like, you know, I want to give up, but I always had that vision of, you know, what presidents am I setting for those that's watching me? You know, those yeah. that showed up at MEPS to see me off. What am I doing if I go back and I and I let them know, hey, it was too hard. It yeah. was too hard for me. And that's why that's why I need to come back. Yeah, and, so, then, and I think I led that way throughout my whole career yeah. is that 
You know, that's who that's who's watching me. My sons are watching me, so I have to keep moving forward. And and you know, so it was times in basic training where I was like, "This ain't it." And and, and I think most of it was those early morning wake ups, those yells down the hallway, or and things like that. But naturally, the more phases you go through, the easier it kind of gets. The process does get through. Uh, yeah. get it a little easier and, we're and you about, built that teamwork everyone's yeah. going through it and we're talking about the, this is uh in fort jackson south carolina when you went to basic right yes fort jackson south carolina yeah, and then which also, wasn't so relaxed in jackson at the time I'm, i just want to say that before yeah, everybody be like it was relaxed in jackson yeah at the time yeah we understand and then i'm going to show you the picture i think this is your first picture we're going to talk about just talk about this it's like young science oh. specialized news zone right here So yes, that was that was me uh, at the graduation of my. Uh, that was right out. So when you about to graduate basic training, they have family day, and that's when my family came, right? So in 2008, and I and I like this picture because in 2008 we still had the the canteen belts. We had the belts with the canteen on. That's what we used to drink water out of. You know, when you go around, you always had to have your canteens filled, um, and you had to have your weapon. Well, the significance to this was. That was that camelback that's on my back was the first thing I bought from my <laughs> basic training. Like once I graduated basic training, I wanted a camelback because the drill sergeants had camelbacks and things like that. And naturally, you see them, mm -hmm. you want to kind of be like them a little bit. So mm -hmm. I bought that camelback and uh, and my family came down. And as you can see, I had a bag full of stuff like snacks and stuff. Because <laughs> Once you about to graduate, family day is full of snacks. You go into the PX. The big PX, too, not the little one that they only take the privates to. You went to the big one where you can eat Popeyes and all that other stuff. So that was the significance. But what? But the funny thing with that camelback is when I when I wore it to AIT, uh, the the first sergeant says, take that scuba Steve thing off your back. Scuba Steve. <laughs> so you couldn't even wear it. I couldn't yeah. even wear it in my a a AIT. They made me take it off. So I went back to the pistol belt again. Yeah. So now that you mentioned, let, let's let's transition to AIT. So now from basic to AIT. So what was the big difference now? Like, okay, coming out of basic to AIT, uh, you just mentioned that, yeah, take that <laughs> scuba thing, whatever the case may be, out of the back. How was the transition and what do you learn and where you, what do you go for AIT at the moment? Okay, so AIT was funny too. Um, you know, I, <laughs> I I feel like every place that I went, you know, in my junior years, there was something significant that happened to me as I arrived at every last location. You know, so I got to AIT. This is when they said, uh, everybody can have cell phones, this, that, and the third. You know, so I was fine with a cell phone. So I'm, I, uh, I, I get out uh, the vehicle. I go stand in formation because I got dropped off. Um, and, you know, because I went, I went to D.C. between basic and AIT because my AIT was so close, they let my family take me home for the weekend. And then my family dropped me back off. Um, my family dropped me back off at AIT. So I'm in civilian clothes. And then I'm standing in line. And I remember this dude. This is the transition between drill sergeants coming out of AIT And AIT platoon sergeants taking over. So I had Drill Sergeant Covington, who had just became an AIT platoon sergeant. So they, you know, he kept the badge because he finished the class, but he took off the hat. Gotcha. So my phone rings, and <laughs> my phone rings, and I remember it was a little Wayne song. Uh, it was a little Wayne song that that ring, and I'm standing in formation, and Drill Sergeant Covington says, "Who phone just rings?" So I say, uh, "I'm quiet for a second. Because uh -huh. I, I, don't, I don't know what's about to happen next. Uh -huh. so I'd be quiet. <laughs> so then 
So, so, so integrity kind of kicked in. So he says it again with some authority. And I was like, uh, mind drill sergeant. And then he says, get over here. So I run over there. I said, drill sergeant, I was told that we can have cell phones. And his, his direct words were, ain't nobody said you can have a ringtone though. Go over there on low crawl and high crawl. <laughs> I was low crawling and high crawling outside because I'm a, a, you know, I'm a Papa Company alumni. That's, that's, that's the one of the original 92 oh, Yankee company. Uh, no, that's whiskey schools. company, right? I mean, you know, companies. So, yeah, they, they, they whiskey companies right next door. So, this was in the old building. He made me high crawl uh, outside in civilian clothes. Wow. And then he, he took everybody else inside. You know, he forgot that I was out there. He came outside and he said, I remember saying it, dang, private, you still out here high crawling? Get up, go in there. You need to end process. I, intro to AIT. That was my intro to AIT. But but again, um, through every dark storm, there's always, you know, light at the end. Because yeah. closer to the end, he became more of a mentor than a, a drill sergeant or AIT platoon sergeant. Mm-hmm. You, you start noticing um why they they break you down in the beginning because although you would think i got broken down to ait but there's i mean in basic there's only so much stigma breaking they can do in that time period so that's why you have two levels of training prior to you going to the operational army so when i got to ait he still saw those traits so he had to kind of dig in a little more Mm -hmm. but Again, uh, when I saw when I finally graduated AIT, and he was a really good uh, NCO, I actually ran into him again on my first deployment in in, in Afghanistan. He was a first sergeant, and uh, and you know, ninety two Yankee, he passed this point of contact, and just like any other person. So, yeah, I think I think AIT was significant. I learned a lot, and that's when I learned that my job wasn't just stacking boxes. I learned about the forms. I yeah. learned about at the time we had PBUs. PBs um, yeah. The system has changed since then. Um, I learned, you know, how to do weapons maintenance because you do arm because the the MOS actually has armor uh, armor qualification too. So you do arms room. So so I learned a lot that I felt like I did not know was entailed into the job in my initial picking of my MOS. So so yes, you know yeah. that's how AIT went. And then can you can you speak um uh, like a regular day for like an AIT student for those that doesn't know and listening right now, like it's just a regular. So day. a regular day for AIT student um was you wake up, you do PT. Well, you're gonna wake up with the drill sergeants, and mm-hmm. I and I I can and I think later on we'll discuss yep. this because I can yeah, speak we, on we'll I can speak on the soldier side and I can also speak can on the AIT the, drill the side. So yeah. so yeah, you you wake up in the morning, uh, of course, uh, to Drill sergeants waking you up. Um, it, you know, you know when when people sit there and say, you know, uh, that I could just get up on my own and this that, and the third, of course. But you sometimes you need that added help. So you're gonna get woken up by the drill sergeants. Um, I know life has changed since I went to AIT. I stayed in the open bay, um, whereas though now soldiers have rooms and yeah. things like that. So uh, well, four man rooms. Um, so you're gonna wake up. You're gonna do PT. After PT, you're going to go shower or you're going to go to child and then go shower. And then from there, you're going to go to school where you're going to sit in school for the duration of the day. You're going to learn everything from your um, from the cradle to the grave of your MOS. Now, when you graduate, you may not be 100 percent proficient because yeah. a lot of people graduate and go into different various positions. You may go to PBO or you may go to a unit supply or you may be a unit armor. So. <laughs> It's to give you that vast overview of knowledge 
of what your MOS entails um, to have you prepared. So when you actually get to your organization, mm -hmm. that NCO that's there is going to train you on how the uh, current operations are being ran in that specific uh, organization. So from data, from, in, you know, from start to finish, wake up, PT, school, get your lunch break, go back to school, and then come go. back. But you will go to the field. You will go to the yeah. field for, uh, uh, I think, like uh, four FTX. days, four or five days. And, and you will do your MOS qualification while in the field. FTX. But you do have to pass all the exams while in class. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it's definitely going to uh, give you a lot of knowledge and a lot of tools to put in your tool bag. That's going to set you up for success for the long period of your career. Yeah, so so basically you are in a school environment just like more like rigid, right? So you have your days are going to be like very like uh regulated. So you're going to have PT at school, um you go lunch back to school and then go bed and then uh but the the end state of the AIT is they're going to teach you um your MOS, they're going to teach you how to to be proficient and like you mentioned it's, you're not going to be the SME at the moment. You will not be the subject matter expert at the time. You're going to gain with the, the experiences as you transition, and we're going to get there. Uh, but that's basically what AIT is. Uh, for those that doesn't know that AIT, but uh, but now it's more relaxed than basic, right? So it's, it's more, it's like a more relaxed environment, talking towards the um, science. So, so it can it can be, it can be a more uh, relaxed environment. However, the, the, the level of professionalism um, is still there. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you still have drill sergeants for a reason, mm -hmm. um, to kind of maintain that, that, uh, to maintain that, that not just that respect, that professionalism, but that, uh, also that military bearing, gotcha. you know, so you're still going to march, you're still going to sing cadence, mm -hmm. um, you're still going to go to the field, you still got to deal with the drill sergeants, you still subject to the same, uh, uh, level of, uh, support that the drill sergeants provided. I like to say support that the drill sergeant provided in basic. So you're going to still get somewhat of that same supporting system that the drill sergeants will provide you in AIT. Gotcha. Although you do have a little more room to kind of expand out. So you do get like weekend passes and stuff like, not weekend passes where you spend a night, but like day passes where day you can passes, go out can from go the day out. to the PX and come back to the barracks. Or outside. Um, you, so you get, yeah. it's, it's better to prepare you for your next assignment opposed gotcha. to preparing you to go to more training. Gotcha. And then, okay, so AIT, and then do you need, do you know that where you were going next or how that, like, I know you're going to go to Fort Riley, but at the moment, do you know, like, where you're going to Fort Riley at the moment? No, um, so, so it's funny because um, when, when I was coming through, they used to put your name on the board and then they had, like, blocks, empty blocks next to it. And then every day you have to go check the board because they'll have an assignment next to it. So... Every day. So I watch people get assignments going to Korea. I right. watch people get assignments going to Germany. And they were just coming out the room crying. I'm talking about crying. Wow. Like yeah. not happy. Cause yeah. some you gotta you gotta factor in a lot of the people that are going through these things have never left home. Yeah. Have never yeah. left home. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. and, and so it's almost a culture shock, you yeah. know, like, okay, I've never been out the comfort of my family before. So now, granted. Some people in your school are National Guard. Some of them are reservists. So a lot of them are going back to the house. They already know where they're going, you know. But for those that are active duty, you know, um, they haven't been away. So to say, not only have you not been been uh, away from your home, but now we're sending you to another country. So, you know, That's you got to figure out the fear level of that 
of a person, you know? So some people go and they enjoy it. Some people are looking forward to the opportunity, but, but most are not, most not because they don't really understand. You say, I'm sending you to Korea. First thing people think is, oh, it's a war going on there. <laughs> and then they get here and realize it's a lot better than what they thought. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm one of the people who, who kind of stayed away from Korea for his whole career too, because I, I wasn't ready to go overseas, but then I ended up taking one and I enjoyed it, you know? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so for me, I, I, I walked in there and I saw the board, it said Fort Raleigh. And, and the funny thing is, I asked, the, <laughs> I asked the sergeant, I was like, where's, where's Fort Raleigh? Because it didn't have a <laughs> state remember, next yeah. to it. And he said, it's in Kansas. Now, mind you, I, I, I'm from DC. You know, I'm not going to sit there and say I was the brightest bub in the world. But I, he said, it's in Kansas. I was like, where's Kansas? You know, because <laughs> you never hear no one say, I'm going to Kansas. Kansas, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and coming from D.C., I've never heard no one say, I barely heard anybody say they were going to North Carolina, which is like a two states over. Mm. So let alone to hear someone say, hey, I'm going to Kansas. And I told my wife on the phone, hey, babe, we're going to Fort Riley, Kansas. And my wife was like, where is huh? that at? Huh? You know what I mean? So, so and I, and it's funny because when I graduated AIT and we got on, we I had to go back home to get my family do the household goods thing and, and everything. And they came and packed up everything. So we get our tickets and we get to the airport and uh, we flying in the air and uh, we land in Kansas City. So Kansas City, we was like, okay, this is this is what Kansas looks like. It's a city, you know, it's going to be yeah, good. Yeah, like. So we get. Hey, look, we get on this little plane, Amazing. and I'm talking about a propeller plane. Like, the propeller plane looked like somebody had to turn the propellers on. They only had two rows in the whole thing. And the guy that's flying the plane looked like he, like, 16, you know? And it was like, next stop, Manhattan. And then I was sitting there, I told my wife, I said, baby, I think we got on the wrong plane. We about to go to Manhattan? Like, New York? It was Manhattan, Kansas, you know, so that's why I was like, yeah, this is definitely, we landed in like a cornfield or something. Like, it wasn't a cornfield, but the airport is like in a cornfield, you know? It was like one of those really, really small airports. So that, that's that's what I, that was my initial reaction to Kansas. Anyway, you know, so. but so Kansas is in the Super Bowl this year, though, so. Or did this, you yeah. know, Taylor Swift and the Kansas so it's growing of course i think now it's, it's growing a lot yeah. you know i think they even expanded out the airport now or something like that yeah. but when you came out the airport only thing you saw was car rental spots and i remember um you know i don't know if i'm going too far ahead i don't know if i'm because i'm already going into the first duty station no yeah you can go but, ahead, uh, you can go ahead and go to the first duty it's okay but you know i i landed and when we landed um i just remember <laughs> It was this one. They still had payphones, you know, because they don't have payphones nowhere in the world, you know. So and and when you go to the payphone, they had this little placard over the play payphone, like if you're going to Fort Riley, call this number, you know. So I call the number and I say, "Hello, reception answers. Hello, this is Private Newsom. I'm at the airport." He said, "Okay, stay there. Click." That's it. <laughs> I, was, I was like, it was like some FBI secret agent <laughs> stuff, like like the package has been dropped. Bye. Click. Okay. And then what you know, happened next? So, so, so I'm waiting. So, so it's funny because my wife was like, "What did they say?" He said, "Stay there." Click. It just hung up. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, my wife. We have never like so. That was the first time that we moved. That she moved outside of you know outside of DC. DC so to, for us yeah. to move somewhere like 
for from Riley. The city, to yeah, like from the city yeah. to the, <laughs> for Riley. So you, you know, change. and that's why I I applaud my wife a lot because she puts a lot of trust in me. She put a whole lot of trust in me. Because if those roles are reversed and you sit there and be like, hey, I'm moving to Kansas, you know, and you be like, why? Why? Trust me, we're gonna go to Kansas. Me and you're gonna go. She's gonna be like, you know, you'll be like, you'll we'll be great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's gonna be fun. And, and she just went, she went with it. So we got there, and then the van comes to pick us up, you know, and then he takes us there. They don't really talk to us in the car or nothing like that. They just, we just drive over to reception. The reception was like this old looking building. And, and all he told us, he took out information and he says, you know, tomorrow's PT, you need to be here at this time. Wow. You know, so, so then he, then they take us and they drop us off at the, uh, they drop us out off at the on post lodging. Uh -huh. Now, now granted, I've never done this before and I've never traveled with a family. So I'm, I, everything I've ever done is always trying to figure it out along the way, because again, I have a wife, I have an infant child, and they're all looking towards me to kind of make these decisions yeah. to make them comfortable. You know, so I got it. So, so I call, um, I get to, uh, we get to the lodging and the lodging people say, hey, uh, your lodging is up on the hill you, and you can't walk there. Now I got bags of stuff. So by the grace, you know, um, I had a battle buddy from AIT who drove his car there. Mm. So he went home, got his car, he drove there. Um, sorry, Griffin. And, and I still talk to Sergeant Griffin now. That's funny. Um, so he picks us up. We, we, we load as much bags in his car. And then some guy at the, was at the hotel too. He put some stuff in the back of his truck because I needed that because when I called reception say, Hey, my hotel isn't right here. They told me call a cab. And then, and that was oh. it. Hang up again. They were the most, that was the most Let's cut and dry. Like, streamlined, hey. like yeah, driest. <laughs> This is what you got. But he picked me up. He took me up to the hotel. And and, and shout out to Griffin, because like I said, if you if that's why I express the importance of keeping in contact with your battle buddies from AIT. Yeah, and, and and you know, cause you just never know who you may know. Like 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 uh like you said, uh Captain Callow is um it's everywhere we go, we always kinda the army's small, so we always kinda keep those networking. Mm -hmm. You know, like I said, I met you in Hawaii and we still communicate yeah, to this yeah, day. Yeah. Um, so if it wasn't for me building that relationship with Griffin, I mean AIT, because we went to basic and AIT at the same time. If it wasn't for me building that relationship with him, I would have had to figure it out even further. Cause he not only uh dropped me off and picked me up from the uh dropped me off at that hotel, but he picked me up every morning and took me over to the PT area where we did PT okay. for reception. Yeah, sure. yep, yep. So, which which ended up becoming a blessing because me and him went to the exact same unit. So okay. we went to the 24th transportation unit together. So we were in the same supply room. Okay. He was, I was the armor. He was the supply, uh, okay. uh, and the that, supply that, that was That was one of my questions, like how the night the Yankee got to there? But now that makes sense. Like one, they were doing two different jobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, we so we had a supply sergeant. So that was uh, Sergeant First Class Baskins at the time. Um, uh, he was a staff sergeant. He just pinned Sergeant First Class, and I didn't know the significance to that at the time because I was just a private. So you know, I was just, oh yeah, you're gonna stay here. But his once he got promoted, he had to move out and go to, to uh, another. Position. He had to go to S four. Yeah. But which which was funny because they left us without a supply sergeant. So I so. Me and Griff had to become the supply sergeants ourselves. Now we're mm -hmm. like PFCs 
trying to run a supply room. But uh, but to go back, like I said, Griff helped me out a whole lot, getting us back and forth to the unit. And at the time, then I ended up, I was able to get a car. I got a car, I got a place on post and stuff like that. And, and you know, on post housing is great because I grew up in apartments in D.C. We didn't have grass. We didn't have anything. You know, we just had the neighborhood and it was a lot of people. You know, whereas though when I got to Fort Raleigh, they gave me a townhome because I had a son and my wife. So they gave us a two bedroom townhome. You know, we had a kitchen. We had a whole open backyard. No fence. It was just open. Like it, it was like the army's version of like the hood. But it was, you know, because and I, and I, I don't say that in a bad no, term. No, no, I, I say that because it's a lot of people yeah. living in this one neighborhood yeah. um, in, in, in junior enlisted housing. So it was a lot of kids. It was a lot of people. It was a it was it was a lot of fun for that time frame, yeah. you know. And I feel like the more senior you get, the more housing gets quieter, mm-hmm. you know. The more the less kids are there, you know. The the less you know eventful things happen. <laughs> so so living there it was fun. And then like I said, uh, the more we we did about three years at that duty station, and you know so. And that's when I uh, I deployed and everything. So, from there. yeah, so we're going to transition to a deployment. I'm going to show you the picture here. Uh, talk about this picture. So the, the the picture, this picture right here was significant because we were, that was my first duty station, of course. And uh, we were getting ready to head to our first deployment to Afghanistan. And um, it, the three, three of the, uh, well, four of the service members in this picture were 92 golf. And then the one in the back with his hands around him, that was my supply sergeant, uh, Sergeant Brown, which was a great uh, 92 Yankee who had uh, reclassed over because I think he used to be a tanker prior to that. So, But we were getting ready to deploy to Afghanistan to our first deployment. And and the funny story about going there, because uh, the per- this person is not even in the picture, uh, Harry B. Mass Iron retired Harry B. Willis. He was he was our platoon sergeant at the time, and I've never deployed in my life. Um, it was like the scariest feeling, but because I knew who I was going with, I wasn't as nervous, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. you know? Because mm-hmm. I felt like I knew they had my back if things ever got bad. So when we were getting ready to leave, you know, I remember kissing my wife and kissing my son and then my mom, and then my dad came out there and, uh, and visited um, and they drove them all back to D.C. So um, when we were going, when we were getting ready to leave, we got to Afghanistan. And um, well, we didn't get to Afghanistan yet. This is when you had to go through uh, Manus in between. So you flew out of America and then you went to Manus. And then um, we got to Manus. So Harry B., he was opportunity sergeant. He used to give, he used to give us all types of uh, scary stories. Yeah, when we get down there, you gonna have to lock and load. Things get real. Soon you get there, it's, it's oh. the most serious event. So okay. I remember landing in Manus, and Manus was like a safe zone. That was like a transitional period point. And um, we coming through. We coming through the gates, and I remember all the barbed wire being up on the wall and all that stuff. And and then uh, it looked like on X Men when they were going through the concentration camps. Okay. I don't know if you if you ever yeah, watched yeah, X Men, yeah, but yeah. Um, so we were, we were going through there and here go Harry B. Harry B was like, oh, this is real. Hey, get your mind in the game. Get your mind in the game. Now in my mind, he knew we were in a safe zone. He knew we wasn't in a bad part in Manus. It wasn't Afghanistan yet. 
So he was like, get your mind to game. He was like, you got your ammo? He was just psyching me out. I was like, they didn't issue me ammo. I don't even have a magazine. What's going to happen? So he, he did this. And it was like the most nervous thing ever. And then we, uh, we I remember us gearing up to get on like a C-130. We were going to fly into Afghanistan like two days later. Because they make you do like two days in Manus. Okay. And you get to, you know, enjoy, you know, not enjoy, but kind of go through briefs and get everything. And I remember going to the DFAC in Manus and they had full-size Snickers and stuff like that. And in my mind, I was like, deployment's giving out full-size Snickers? I'm happy. This is not bad for me. You know, this isn't this isn't the worst situation. I'm okay you know? with Snickers. Like, it's okay. I don't have any ammo with me, but just give me a Snickers no. and I'll be fine. Do you know it takes little to little to no effort to really make a soldier happy in, in, in a bad situation? You know, like you something as simple as a Snickers wow. made me happy. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I of course. I was able to give that one phone call to my wife and I was, you know, I was excited about that and, you know, tell her, Hey, I made it to Manus. But then when we landed in Afghanistan, you know, uh, we flew on the C-130, we got a Kevlar's on all that stuff. And once we got in there, you know, Harry B was like, yeah, this is it right here, man. I remember us riding down and we was in Kandahar. I remember us riding down and I saw a, a TGI Fridays or something there. And I look, <clears throat> I look over to Harry B and I was like, how serious is this about to be? Like, that's a Friday. You know, that, that yes. that's a pizza hut right there. Like, you know, but ideally it had its up and downs. It definitely had its, yeah. I was in a transportation unit. So I got to, you know, uh, go out to some of the areas that they went out to. So I understood that life outside the gates was a lot different yeah. than what the, the than some of the things they had inside, inside the gates. So I got to meet a lot of great other leaders and other people uh, while being there, other armies. I got to meet so many different people through the many uh, activities that was happening around post. So, you know, I thought that was significant because if it wasn't for those individuals that was in that picture and some of the other individuals that wasn't in that picture, um, a deployment can definitely uh, can definitely go the opposite way. It could be the worst area. It could be the worst thing you ever experienced. Mm -hmm. But if you have a good net, a good team, uh, a good communicative uh, leadership, you actually uh, find yourself a lot more uh, at ease yeah. at what's going on. Yeah, you know the. Yeah, go ahead. So, no, go ahead. So, so yeah, so we let's keep in mind that the the life and you mentioned this important point: the life outside the bar, the board wire or the gate was different than inside the board wire because uh, definitely, and we've been deployed, right? So what they're trying to do is like to get the soldier the amenities they need to relax and and focus and other stuff. Versus being outside the gate all the time, you know, firefightings and, and AI, AI, uh, AI, um, explosive and everything like com convoys. So I think it was a way to compensate the soldier. Like, hey, once you come into the gate, you can have all these amenities. When you out the gate, it's, it's game on. Uh, I, I see it that way. I don't, know if, I don't know if you feel. And, and, and that, that's that's exactly what it is. You know, um, you don't want to. You don't want to go outside the gate and be in war and then come inside the gate and still be in war. Like, like you're still in war. You're still on alert. You're yeah. still prepared for whatever happens mm -hmm. next. But but it's the little things that keep you with some type yeah. of sanity so that mm -hmm. you're not uh, so on edge that you don't, you, you know, you go back to your family and you have no clear understanding of how life should be. Mm -hmm. so, it, so it was those TGI Fridays that I could go to and I can say, okay, 
I, I feel like I'm still in somewhat of a comfort, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Or just going to Green Beans and getting a coffee. You know, you those little things is the things that still ties you back into uh, a, a less of a, a war-related mentality because right. you're in war, but it gives you that sense of, let yeah. me, let me, I can calm down. I can decompress yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Even when Definitely. they have activities, football, stuff like yeah. that, things mm-hmm. that keep you tied to mm-hmm. something that you can remember from home, yeah. you know? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I, I think that that's what uh, this does at the same time. And, and, and the army do it that way. So, so we can decompress our soldiers that much because we understand we, we all have brothers and sisters. Uh, I have, my own experiences that I, I, I lost, like relative, not relative, but like people that I knew on war. And I bet you, you, you too, or along your career, we know somebody that have been lost in the, in the, in the, in the way. But it, it is what, you know, what we do for a living. We are committed to, you know, like uh, to, to, to continue doing this in our career and then like do the commitment. Okay, so going for, for Riley, and then next duty station to drum. So how was the transition now from DC to Riley? I don't know where. Now you're going to Fort Drum, which is cold, and a lot of people complain about the coldness. Talk about that. So 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 one uh, Fort Riley is freezing too, and you can walk <laughs> out and get black ice anywhere. <laughs> and and you know, so when I went to Drum, um, me and my family we drove from uh, we drove we drove from. Uh, Fort Riley to drum for our PCS. And I remember driving because it was like 20 some hours, you know, and that's when I was younger, when I could just drive 20 something hours. Today, uh, sorry, Newsom, I'm not trying to drive 20 hours. <laughs> I, would, I would ship a car and, and fly. And fly. If I have to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you, you understand the, the time that it takes to get certain places, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so we drove all the way up to Fort Drum, and I remember. Now, this is before cars already came embedded with GPS. You know, <laughs> I was just talking to my wife the other day, like, how did we get around with MapQuest? Because today you start talking about, you know, MapQuest and how it gave you all the printouts, the step by steps of where you need to go. So we had to follow that type of, yeah. you know, that thing. And uh, <laughs> so now you got GPS on your phone. You never you get lost. You know? yeah. Unless you lost so that we're driving signal. up there. <laughs> We're driving on the highway. We're getting up there. And I remember uh, seeing uh, the sign says, like, Mexico. Like, Mexico. Okay. You know? Because upstate New York has, like, something like Mexico or something. But it's not real Mexico. You know, it's like a little city or something. Okay. Uh, and I, and the only thing I can think of my wife is, I hope we didn't drive the wrong way. <laughs> I hope we didn't go the wrong way. It's funny, you know? it's funny because Alabama has a town that their name is Cuba. And I was driving, I was like, did Alabama have something like Cuba? Like, I don't know, but in your case, it was Mexico. And you, you know, you yeah, can you imagine Mexico. you just see those lights of the border and you just like, oh, this is not going to be good. I got to call somebody and tell them I'm going to be late. You know, so we drove up there. We got to, we got there to uh, Fort Drum. Now, it's funny because a lot of people avoid places like Fort Drum. You know, mm-hmm. they think it's cold. Um, they think there's always a problem. Now, mind you, when I drove up there, my wife was pregnant with our second child. So okay. we had a, she got pregnant when I came back off the deployment. So that's how, our second child is like our deployment baby. You know what I mean? Every, right, every, right into a it. A lot of soldiers know what those are, you know? Yeah, so, right into it. <laughs> uh, so, so, so she was pregnant um, and we got up to Fort Drum. And, and I remember, because again, I haven't grasped the concept of, uh, you know, reserving on post lodging before you get there and, 
doing X, Y, and Z before you, you know, like the, the whole PCS list, you know, you know, um, now they have this thing uh, called the army rucksack or something. And then in there you have apps now that you can download that, that help you outline everything you need to do for your PCS, you know? So I didn't know that. I wish they had that back then, but because uh, I would have had a better understanding of what I need to do when I PCS. But now uh, I still didn't. So I got there to Fort Drum and I tried to uh, get a, get on post lodging. It was like, we're booked up, fully booked. Now, I've never been to Drum again. I never I don't know anything. So I'm driving around the hotels trying to get us hotels. And I remember getting us a hotel at this trucker stop. And, and so we walk in the room. Now, my wife's pregnant. She's mixed with emotions and things like that. And we got our sister. We got her sister with us. Her sister flew out and drove back with us. So we go up into uh, into this place, and my wife walks in the room, and she just busts out crying. She busts out crying. And I'm like, what's wrong? She's like, I don't want to stay here. Now, as a soldier, we could stay almost anywhere. There's no place we can't sleep. Mm-hmm. You you give me a clean wall and a nice little floor, I will lean myself up against it and go straight to sleep. Mm-hmm. But I got to be understanding to my family, you know? So, so we go into this hotel, and she doesn't like it. She, she doesn't want to stay there. It doesn't look safe. And in my opinion, it really didn't look safe. So I was like, okay. So I, I end up finding something closer into town. And I go, we we stay there for the duration. But um, Fort Drum definitely became uh, a positive place because the leadership there, um, the leadership there became, are so much embedded in, you know, taking care of the soldiers. Yeah, they, they, they did. I was in first brigade under, uh, you know, uh, Colonel Michael, which is General Michael now, and, and, and you know, and Sergeant Major Martell and Sergeant Major Bass and things like that. But they genuinely care about the soldiers. You know, they he, they generally, I remember I was working at the Brigade 4 and the Sergeant Major, Sergeant Major Bass came up there and he didn't, we were about to deploy again to Afghanistan and he wasn't arguing about uh, living quarters for senior, for him. He wasn't arguing about the good stuff for him. He was arguing about warm socks for his soldiers, for his infantrymen that were going to go out, you know, and do patrols. Mm-hmm. I thought that was phenomenal mm-hmm. because you see a lot of people that that's where, where am I going to stay at? Where am I going to be doing to hear a senior leader um, argue tooth and nails about how do we get socks for my people, mm-hmm. you know? And, and, and I thought that was phenomenal. And, nice. and to me, for drum logistically, you know, they they really took care of us, all the logisticians, because they understood the importance of what we provided uh, to the organization. So it wasn't like you're just a you're just a 92 Yankee. Get to the side. It wasn't. You know, it's funny because uh, First Sergeant Mills, he was an infantry first sergeant. I'm talking about tabbed up, had everything, and I had just got selected to become the PBO NCO for the brigade, <laughs> and um, and First Sergeant Mills says. I'm only going to sign your clearing paperwork to get out of the unit if you go to the education center and you enroll in college. Nice. Now, Good. mind you, no, no loggy NCO told me this. Um, no, nobody in my branch came and said, go get a degree. Now, this is during a time frame where they really wasn't making NCOs get degrees. You mm-hmm. know, I was a sergeant um, and things like that. And he's an infantry first sergeant. And he and his goal was, I need to get a degree. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I and I that impacted me, you know, nice. and even when I got my degree, I reached out to him. Um, but uh, 
that's the type of culture that that they kind to they kind of built. It wasn't just feel 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 break you down. It was nice. like mentorship, prepare for the future, mm-hmm. you know, um, and things like that. Now there was some, there was some long runs, seven mile runs they like yeah. to do, ranger speed, and you know you really had to get into it. There was some field exercises you had to go to, but when I say that they cared about you and your family. Like, uh, I woke up in, I woke up at like three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning. And I was about to get dressed to go to PT. I think PT was like five thirty, six o'clock, something like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, my wife tapped me and said, Hey, uh, just hold on for a second. So I was like, what's wrong? You know, like, mind you, she's pregnant. So I'm like, what's, what's going on? Mm-hmm. She says, just give me a second. And I think she was getting ready to like, she was having like the contractions and stuff like that. And they were hitting. She said, Oh yep. The baby's coming. The baby's coming. Mm-hmm. So now I'm scared, you know, so I called, I remember calling down to the leadership and said, Hey, my wife's about to have the baby. This, that, and the third. Hey man, take all the time you need. Congratulations. They were more excited on the phone for nice. me than I was. They were like, congratulations, bro. Nice. You need anything, man. Just take Ooh. the time you need. Don't worry about the leave form. We'll get that all drawn up for you. You'll just sign it when you finish at the hospital. Yep. And Man, that's amazing. I was like, that. you don't expect that out of combat arms sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes you expect you and, and and people assume that a lot of them will be like mission go, first, go, you know, go, come, go, get go. out here. Yeah. yeah, but this is before the whole uh people's first incentive. These people were practicing people's first nice. in the beginning. Okay. You know what I mean? And and a lot of my most encouraging moments came from some of those combat arm leaders okay. who still reach out to me to this day um and say how proud they are of things that I'm doing and things. So so I appreciate it for drum. Nice. I think for drum was like was like a point where I thought I was gonna get out, mm-hmm. but okay. I, when I met those type of leaders, it made me want to stay in longer because I knew they exist now. You know, not saying that I didn't have good leadership in rally, but you know, when you're in a, when you when you're mission, 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 sometimes it it, it kind of flaws uh, of the purpose you're there because you want more time with your family. Yeah, they actually they actually had a good balance with yeah. how they took care of you, you know? So you didn't have to go to everything. You mm-hmm. had to go to what you needed to be at. Take care of your family. Stuff like that. Yeah, so 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 that goes back to, to you know, there's multiple different experiences in the Army. Like, we all have good leaders, we have bad leaders. But in this case, you have great leaders that took care of you and your family, and you appreciate, and you'll follow them wherever they, they, they'll go. Um, because, like, they'll take care of you. They'll let you take care of your family. And, and again... This organization is all about the people, all about the service members, right? Like that we we all are, are one big family. And then if I take care of you, I know you're going to take care of me. And then like you mentioned before, you went to a war, the war zone, Afghanistan, and you were following people that you know they had your back. And it's all about it. Because like um, if we go into a mission, we go off, uh, outside the, 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 the gate. I need to rely on you. It doesn't matter I'm a captain, you're a certified class or E5 or E6 or whatever the case may be. At the end, we're just uh, going towards a, one mission and you talk about the great leadership in Fort, um, I'm sorry, Fort Drum provided you that uh, in that moment. That, that's great to hear that. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, I, and I'll tell you this one thing before, you know, when it came to Fort Drum, mm-hmm. you know, even when we did deploy, because they were the first ones to take me on this, isolated location of deployment and mm-hmm. where we really didn't have all the same perks as my last deployment. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it, it was like, it was like day and night when it came to the deployment, but they, it was, 
I had so much fun with those guys because they always found something to do. And and it wasn't like it wasn't like everybody lived in better situations. We we literally were living in tents and shoes and stuff like that. And you know, when we at one point in time we had we didn't have like cooking food anymore. We were eating MREs. And it was just it was funny. I mean it wasn't funny because at that moment I'm looking in the defect as we're all eating MREs and the brigade commanders eating the MRE and the brigade sergeant majors eating one and all the leadership is eating them because this is what we all, we all are in this same fight together, you know? And I think that's when I was like, you know, this is amazing. This is, this is amazing. They didn't run and say, well, this, we're going to go eat this and go over here or, you know, trips out and go, no, they ate the MREs. They stayed in there with us. It was a fight that we all in together. And I, I appreciated that. Nice. Okay, and now let's transition to their next station, Hawaii. How was that change now from drum to almighty Scuffy Bears, Hawaii? So talk about that to us. And- no coach. No coach. I didn't need a coach. I didn't no need coach. a coach for four yeah. years. Yeah, there you go. Uh, it <laughs> was amazing. It? It, it was amazing. I loved Hawaii. You know, um, I never I never thought I was going go to go to somewhere like that. That was so beautiful. Um, I remember finding out when I was going to go to Hawaii, I was going to Hawaii, I was on CQ and drum and a retention NCO said, Hey, I got Hawaii. I need an answer. If you want to take it, mm-hmm. man, I called my wife. Cause every, every, every duty station, I always talk to my wife yeah. and say, Hey, what do you think about this? I give her a choice, you know, um, some choices, some choices we can take. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have that the right to say no, but sometimes, you know, we have to go with it. But, uh, Hawaii Hawaii uh, was like, she was like, yep, say yes, say yes. I remember my wife saying, say yes, say yes, call him back. Don't call me, call him. And I hung up and I called him back. Yeah, we'll, we'll take Hawaii, lock it in. And um, and I got there and I was assigned to the Sustainer Brigade there. Um, and one thing about being in a Sustainer Brigade, what people don't know is it's a constant move. They're constantly moving. They're constantly going. They're, they're part of everybody's mission, mm-hmm. you know? So, so when you think that, Oh, it's just a statement. So we're not going to go to the field as much as the infantry or the artillery or whatever the case may be. Well, we're supporting every exercise. Mm-hmm. They're, they're going out consistently. Like even you and I were in, in, in the same uh, company. Mm-hmm. We were sending teams out to go out to everybody's mission. Although I didn't go out on all, I, I did support a lot of them, you know. And then when we go to like JRTC or NTC or things like that, you know, naturally we have to go to those too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I enjoyed it. But I do say I will say that Hawaii was one of my more busier moments because I did deploy from there to Kuwait uh, with the battalion. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. And then um, and then um, I did when I came back from the deployment, um, I transitioned over to 40th with with you um, when you were a PL and then the XO, mm-hmm. you know, so, uh, you know, it was an eye opener to how much how many missions um, that those organizations really put their soldiers through. But luckily, they send them out in teams and mm-hmm. try to give them a, a rest period in between. And then yeah. I transitioned from there to the trans company. So I did get a clear understanding of how the full scope of the operation worked mm-hmm. when it came to uh, the sustainment um, from the unit level perspective, of course. So I loved it. Um, I learned how to ride motorcycles out there. Yeah, that's what you're everybody. Passion. Yeah, it was a passion. Yeah, that's that's began. that's my true passion is motorcycles mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. You know, but you know, I, I remember when I first uh, wanted a motorcycle because I was riding down the Hawaii highways, and uh, 
it, it's either you had a drop top convertible mm-hmm. or you had a motorcycle. Mm-hmm. And and I wanted that motorcycle. I wanted that wind. I wanted that wind in my hair. I wanted that lifestyle. I loved it. So so I got to really learn how to ride motorcycles in Hawaii. So I enjoyed the beaches. I enjoyed the food. It's nothing like those daggone food trucks um, out there in Hawaii. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I loved Hawaii. Um, I did an additional year and I stayed for four years. So. Yeah, yeah. So so Hawaii had a great mission uh, again for the sustainable brigade. Maybe. Soldiers might not understand what they're doing at, at their level, but in the big scope of the operations, when you're in like a leadership positions, like you mentioned, we're supporting the whole the whole island, like everything in the mm-hmm. island from the port uh, all the way down to the unit level. Uh, we have the rushes like moving like containers across the the island. We have mission going in and now. We're going to Paycom to the Pacific. We're going down to Secom, which is all the way to. Uh, Afghanistan, Kuwait, etc. So when you see the level of logistics that we were managing as a brigade, it was it was huge. It was good. We were, we were like I, with a big part of the mission. I don't think people understand that you know when it comes to staying in the fight. You know we're 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 the first ones. In, well, we're, we're somewhat the first ones in. Of course, if it's an area that has to be you know uh, had to be assumed first, mm-hmm. uh, combat you know related. And yeah, we may not be, we may, we may come in right behind them, but we're the last ones to leave almost because everything has to move through the sustainment. You know, you, like you said, the transportation from the transportation to the fuel, um, we had laundry and service, you know, and I remember when we did that, when we went to JRTC, um, we were there first in the beginning because we had to wait till all our trucks get there and, mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that. And then we last one is leave mm-hmm. because Everybody needs their trucks and stuff uh, towed back to um, back to the port. Mm-hmm. Laundry and service and stuff need to be uh, still happening. So, so lo- logistics happen through and through, and they're always like in the beginning and at the end. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so yeah, we it's a nonstop cycle. I would say mm-hmm. that when it comes to sustaining the fight. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And again, Hawaii was a great experience, at, at least for myself. Uh, I was like a brand new second, like a junior lieutenant. Uh, at the point when I was a platinum leader, like I understand, I can put that my my perspective because sometimes I will not understand what I was doing. I was getting thrown at me a lot of missions, but now that I'm more senior and then I'm in another capacity, I can look back and say like, okay, this is what we were doing at the moment. I understand now again maturity and knowledge come with. Um, now for Lee. Now I have this picture right here. Let's start intro- introducing for Lee. So I'm gonna put you right here. So let's talk about this. Okay, so uh with this picture, so this is me in drill sergeant school. So I, I PCS from Hawaii to Fort Lee, um, because I was overseas, I was considered a turtle. So I was pretty much hanging around the drill sergeants. I, I walked with the drill sergeants, I pretty much shadowed them until I went to drill sergeant school. So I went to drill sergeant school. And um, this picture right here is day zero of drill sergeant school. And that's uh, the, the female yelling at me. That's First Sergeant Simmons. Um, and she's like big right now in the Army. Shout out to her and all the great things she does. Um, you know, first female ranger, uh, African-American nice. female ranger. Um, mm-hmm. So she, she's doing outstanding things. I think she's heading the Sergeant Major Academy soon. Nice. Nice. Um, but however, the significance of this is she came up to me and as you can see, my uniform is, is a little messed up. Mm-hmm. One thing about drill sergeant school, I would tell you is 
Um, you would think that you are an outstanding NCO no matter what, but Drill Sergeant School will tell you you're not. They will show you you're not. And and I wore that uniform because I knew they were gonna, I knew it was about to be bad physically. And I remember her coming up to me and saying, Why'd you wear cook whites to your first day of drill sergeant school? And I said, These are not cook whites. Uh now don't don't mind the picture. The light has my has my uniform looking like it's two different tones. It's a shadow at the bottom and you know, light at the top. But nonetheless, um, she she came up there. Next you know what, they just let in on me. They let in on me, told me, you know, I could have did better and this, that, and the third. She, uh, I learned from that experience to do better. I did. I, I didn't take it in a negative light. I didn't walk away um, with, the, with the they don't know what they're talking about. I actually, you know, went out and got better uniforms and, and, and prepared myself for the next day, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so drill sergeant school was pretty much nine weeks. Uh, 10 weeks or something like that. And you had to pretty much go from like the soldiers do. You go from basic. I mean, you go from red, white and blue phase and you go through all the different levels of uh, of uh, basic training again. Mm-hmm. But except doing drills on school, you have to pitch the modules and do everything like that. So it's a little more uh, mind boggling than uh, than when you went to basic, you know, because when you went to basic, you just did what the drill sergeant told you to. And in drills on school, they're teaching you to be a drill sergeant. And, and to be able to teach the soldiers what they need to do to go forward. So that picture was significant because, you know, that at that moment, I was a staff sergeant at the time. But at that moment, I walked in as a staff sergeant, but I felt like a private when I walked off the field. <laughs> I felt like a private. Right. So right. naturally, when I got to Fort Lee, um, so I was in a black sheet platoon in, in drill sergeant school, which anybody that was a black sheet drill sergeant know that was one of the hardest platoons to be in at the time and we started out with like 106 or something like that and only 48 of us graduated oh wow oh that's you know so yeah. so when people think going to drill sergeant school is going to be like the easiest thing ever um it's not it's not uh sometimes you have to prepare yourself for failure um i failed one module and i had to repitch the next day and and mentally i was like man this is crazy so but again like anything i ever do i don't start it in, unless I don't start it if I don't intend to finish it because I look at what am I what am I studying for the people that's looking at me from behind mm-hmm. and to and I watch many people go to drill sergeant school don't pass and they have to go back to their yeah. units and, and don't and then I have to explain to everybody on how they didn't make yeah. it through you know so I, I didn't want that for me and I think God really challenged me by putting me in the hardest platoon in my opinion to be some one of the better NCOs because I knew that I was wrapped up in my bubble. I thought I was a really good NCO. Mm-hmm. I was a good supply person. I was a good 92 Yankee. Mm-hmm. But but I, I, I could do better as being a non, non-commissioned non officer. And, nice. and Black Sheep definitely grew me to be a better non-commissioned officer. Yeah, so yeah. when I fast forward and I got to my first assignment, which is Papa Company, mm-hmm. like I said before. So 10 years before that, I was a private. 10 That's years crazy, after right? that, I was a drill right. sergeant That's in the crazy. same company. There you go. Um, and it was amazing because the amount of uh, mentorship and shaping the minds of a lot of the soldiers that are in the army today was like one of the most highlighted things that, that I could ever say I've done. I think that's the proudest moment. And anybody that wears the drill sergeant badge will probably agree that that's probably one of your most proudest uh, moments of mm-hmm. being a non-commissioned officer. Cause at that moment you were able to give back to the future of the army. Nice regardless of who they are, 
regardless of where they came from, yeah. you were able to instill somewhat pride into being uh, a soldier in the United States Army. Now, do everybody make make it through the process? They don't, and that's that. Sometimes mm-hmm. that that's a hit because you feel like you lost one. You know, it's like having a child and your child goes in the opposite direction of you. Sometimes mm-hmm. you feel that way. Um, you know, like man, I really wish I could have saved that one, but you can't save them all. Someone yeah. has to go home, and and that's the that's the way that the process works. So Fort Lee was definitely um, an exciting um, duty opportunity. I was able to be a drill sergeant at AIT, and most people would say AIT drills don't do a lot. I feel like AIT drills do a, a lot when it comes to the the day to day operation and the life of what a soldier is going to be in the future, you know? So I enjoyed it. Um, and like you said, we both have uh, mutual friends that are still on the yeah, trail right at Fort Lee. Mm-hmm. And, and, and yeah, so I, I loved Fort Lee. I thought it was great. I had outstanding leadership. You know, um, I was there from the transition from AIT, AIT platoon sergeant to drill. Uh, back when I was a private, I was yeah. there from the transition from drill to AIT. So I never was an AIT platoon sergeant. I went straight to drill sergeant school, whereas though they were sending AIT platoon sergeants back to school to become drill sergeants. So, yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it. I I recommend a lot of NCOs decide to go become drill Mm -hmm. sergeants, although Mm -hmm. I don't think it's in everybody, but I think the amount of knowledge I learned while there and the amount of soldiers I was there with, I I enjoyed it. You know, I had doctors. I had a doctor in one of my platoon. I had a lawyer. In one of my platoon, these soldiers aren't as these soldiers aren't coming in like when I came in. These soldiers are smart. Yeah. These soldiers have degrees. These soldiers are reading the regulation. These soldiers understand the task mm-hmm. somewhat better than us as leaders. So, you know, we it, it made me really realize that what the army has and the potential that they're uh, they are assuming. You know, yeah. uh, when it comes to these soldiers. So yeah, but the, the one thing one thing you did mention like. So first of all, you grew up in Papa Company, and then years later you came back as a drill sergeant. That's a big achievement. I think it's a big sentiment, right? Like, hey, I'm here like now as a senior NCO when I was just a private. That's the first thing. Mm-hmm. The second thing is you you can become like a mentor of one of many of the '92 Yankees along the run, right? So you'll you'll mention across your you know timeline that you you have mentors that like drill sergeants along your career that you look at them saying like, hey. Can you can you mentor me in this X, Y, and C? And now, as a drill sergeant, you can become that mentor for those new ninety-two Yankees, right? In that position that you're like, maybe you can keep uh, along the way. Which is is what's happening here. Like so, uh, Korea um, was after my drill sergeant, of course. But mm-hmm. um, the significance is a lot of those ninety-two Yankees that left the schoolhouse. I see them now in the force. So when I go TDY. I see them at different locations or, you know, if I'm in a gym, they'll see me in there and they'll come talk to me mm-hmm. um, and things like that. You know, when I first came off, I was a little more standoffish, you know, because I was like, uh, let me just, you know, bridge that gap before my time frame. Because, you know, you got to like six months after you, you know, graduate classes and stuff like that. You got to kind of give it that cool down period. But naturally, um, you never really know the impact that you have left on people because they reach out and they'll say, you know, thank you, drill sergeant. I really mm-hmm. appreciate everything nice. you did. Cause mm-hmm. in AIT, you don't just have privates or soldiers, you have MOST. So that's the people that's coming to reclassify. So those are already that range from anywhere from 
private all the way up until sergeant first class that may be reclassifying. So you have people reaching out from all different walks of life that's saying, thank you. Thank you for this. or thank you for that. Um, I'll be out in the gym sometimes and soldiers will walk up to me and say, do you remember me? And I'll be like, I don't, you know, I was, I was pushing 60 soldiers out at a time and it was just me as a drill and my two instructors, you know? So sometimes I don't remember, but I still pass apart like a point of contact if they need anything. I just had a training here at my current organization and I think five soldiers in my class were in my platoon when I was a drill sergeant. And it surprised them when they walked in the room because they didn't know how to address me. You know, they, they were ready to, now these, these are, Ranging from specialists, and some of them are non-commissioned officers already, and they still mm. come up. Drill sergeant? No, <laughs> not not drill sergeant. Just yeah, sergeant. Good, just sergeant. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, so so it's 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 amazing to watch your product move. You that's, know, that's watch your product awesome. flourish out yeah. here in the army, and to see their names on emails and realize they're running their own thing right wow. now. So it's 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 beautiful it's to see it. I think the the hardest thing though is if people are becoming drill sergeants, is keeping their personality. You know, don't lose yourself because you got the hat on. Because a lot of people will lose themselves okay. in the midst of being a drill. If you wasn't a yeller as an NCO, don't be a yeller as a drill sergeant. Mm -hmm. You know, if if you were if you if you were a, a mean person there, be a mean person there because you got to keep the same thing. Because soldiers can smell when it's not you. Okay. They know when it's not your personality or you're trying to be something mm. other than. You know, so be yourself. Yeah, be Which, yourself. And like I tell anybody, being yourself is what got you in the room. Mm -hmm. Don't try to become somebody else once you get in the once mm -hmm. you get in the room. Yeah. You know, you already you already accept it. Yeah, there you go. And then I, I think do you want to talk about this picture, the significance of this picture, particularly? Okay, so this one here, that's my dog Zeus. Um, mm -hmm. that's Zeus. That's my actual dog. So, um, my platoon was Dog Pound, and I and, and the reason I chose Dog Pound. It's because when you think of a dog pound, you think about where the dogs go. There's a variety of different types of dogs there. There's poodles, there's Yorkies, there's bullies, there's everything in there. And I looked at my platoon as that melting pot. People came from all different walks of life, all different, different areas. Some people are dads and moms. Some people are just coming out of high school. Some people are from different uh, diversity of life. And, and I looked at my platoon as that melting pot. And I say, you know, we all are part of the dog pound because nobody, nobody knows, uh, you know, we didn't all choose to be here. We came here. Yes, of course. But we didn't choose to be in this particular platoon. But we all had to get along. We all had to live together in this whole situation. So a lot of soldiers took that dog pound and, and they ran with it. So every last one of my uh, platoon pictures, I always had a dog in my pictures. And this was my last one. That was my last one. And, and I brought my dog in Zeus to be in the last picture. Yeah, that's a great, great story to, to mention, right? So so you have that significant to they transmit it to your AIT uh, soldiers, right? So, and again, it's great to hear these stories. And then I'm going to show you this one. I think it's the same um, on the school. When so, you were there. Yeah. so I chose this one. I chose this picture because... Uh, so if you know, if anybody would know me, you know, they know I don't mind talking. I don't mind mentoring. I don't like, mm -hmm. I don't mind give, stopping and giving advice. Or in, in, in most cases, I'll sit down and listen to what's going on. Um, so, you know, I chose this one because what better picture to pick that I'm willing to talk to almost anybody mm -hmm. than talk to a bunch of kids in school. And I remember this day. Um, so that's my battle buddy in the corner, uh, Drill Sergeant Smith. Um, 
well, now Sanford's class Smith, of course. Um, we were in that room, and I remember going out to the school. I was tasked, hey, we want you to go out to the school, talk to the kids. And I, and first thing I was thinking is, I have kids. I, what do you talk to kids about, you know, mm-hmm. when it comes to the Army? What am I there for? So I created this whole little slideshow of all the coolest things I think the Army has, you know, like like planes, helicopters, trucks, medics, MPs. I, I just created this whole little pre-recruiting slide or whatever. Okay. And I remember taking it to the taking it to their class and I showing it to the kids and the kids were like, ooh, hi. And they just wanted, you know, they were just so excited <laughs> about the military. And 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 you know, and I, I like that picture because I feel like as leaders, we have to meet people um in, in their ballpark sometimes. And we we think that every way the way we do things ourselves is the only way. You know, and it's not literally the only way. You have to tailor yourself to meet the audience that you're talking to. And something as simple as talking to kids, you know, the first time I went out, it was just like, oh, okay, my dad's a soldier. Oh, this is a soldier, yada, yada. But when I created this whole little visual aid and I and the teacher put it up there and the kids saw it, they were just so interested. They were just so, like, driven into it, like, and, and and I love that the innocence of the kids is nice. just like there, you know, they just, if you see a helicopter fly by, you and I see a helicopter, we're going to be like, oh, it's just a helicopter. Yeah. When you show a kid a helicopter, there will be and you tell them people like, yeah, people jump out of that helicopter. They like, oh, they jump oh, and yeah. the questions that they ask is just so amazing. So I learned, I learned from that experience that um, no matter who I talk to, you know, I have to tailor the information based on the people I'm talking to, because at the end of the day, like uh, Sergeant Major Bell from, uh, he used to be the HQDA Sergeant Major, and he came and talked out to my senior leader course uh, when I was in SLC. And I remember him saying, always be added value to the conversation. You know what I mean? And I I took that as, how do I add value to a conversation? And sometimes it's just tailoring to the audience you're Mm -hmm. you're dealing with. You know, I may not be so uh, immersed in every conversation, but I'll listen a lot. I'll listen. Nice. I'll listen and then I'll see where do I fit into the to the problem that you're giving me, mm-hmm. you know, and then I provide advice based on the area that I, I am. But if you don't have anything to say, just sit in the back and just listen to the information. But if you do add that value to the conversation and in that one, I was I went one time. The kids didn't buy into it when they sent me again. I had a visual aid and I figured out what do I need to grasp the attention of these kids? And that's what I did. Yeah, and it was great. That's that's great because like you can tailor, you can actually know your audience and and know how you talk. If you can explain to a kid how how the army works, you can explain anyone basically. And that's basically you created the their own word. It's like talking about their terms. Like, hey, you like Fortnite? I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna relate something from Fortnite to the army so they can understand and and we can go and back and forth. And basically, that's what you created this work for them. Exactly. I mean, you know, the army is now doing a lot better on recruitment when it comes Mm -hmm. to games and adding people Mm -hmm. in. You see, they got teams. My son plays uh, Fortnite. And then I think uh, one day he signed up for one of the army competitions. And next, you know, his phone started ringing. We're recruiting. I had to tell him my son's 15 years old. (laughs) He he ain't ready yet. You know, so so they're utilizing the more modern technology to to. to reach out to those that are interested. So I think that's amazing. Yes, that's great to hear. Now, from Fort Lee to Korea, now Fort Lee to Korea, or Fort Great Adams now, we've been talking Fort Lee, but Fort Great Adams, 
to Korea. So, okay, so mentioned earlier, like, okay, so people think that Korea, you're going to go to war, but now I'm here. It's not that, like, bad. Talk so, about come Humphreys. So let me, let me, let me roll back into this before I got to Humphreys. Yeah. COVID happened and I was getting ready to go to Humphreys. Um, and at the time, I, I, I had to really educate myself. Thank God that, um, that YouTube people were dropping videos about in processing the Korea and, okay. you know, and things. I, I love the fact that people use the technology to educate people prior to them going places, you know, because uh-huh. COVID was a crazy time frame for everybody. And to go to come to Korea during COVID, you all you, you pretty much had to like climb mountains to get into the country, you know, so you had to get your COVID test and all that. So, yeah. um, Someone dropped a video saying when you come to co- when you come to Korea, you're automatically going to go into a COVID barracks room with your family for 14 days, and okay. these are the things you need to pack. So we we went out and got a tough box. My wife put like a hot plate in there. Now uh, she put like all types of stuff in there that we can carry snacks, things like that that would you know keep us comfortable, toiletries, bleach, all that stuff, you know. And, and that's why I you know I, I will always say that I have a great support system when it comes to comes to my wife and Mm -hmm. my family because the things that I don't think about is the things she She does. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking about getting into Korea. So I'm thinking about we need COVID tests. I'm thinking about we need passports. We need orders. So I'm thinking about all these things. She's thinking about pack a tough box, put this in our luggage. We need to bring these things. So it was more like a team team, uh, uh, thing um, you know, in order to get into a country that neither one of us ever been. So I remember us leaving Fort Lee because you had to get your COVID test like 72 hours in advance. Um, so we, we go get our COVID test then we immediately we get our results and then we go straight to the airport. We, I'm telling you, I got a tough box. I got, we got four bags. It's just crazy. So we jumping from airport to airport. I felt like it, we traveled for like four days. Wow. It just felt like that because when you got to Seattle, um, to get on Patriot, you had to wait until like midnight to check in, which I, I understood that process because I did that process when I went TDY to Kuwait. Um, so that's why I had to tell my wife, look, we need to go stand in this line if we want to be the first couple people. So I remember us getting there like like 7 or 8 o'clock p.m. And then we went up there and stood in line. And my wife, you know, I had to tell her, we need to stand in line because this line's going to get crazy here soon, you know. And then sure enough, the line started bending all the way down the road uh, in the airport to get on the plane, which once we got everything checked in, we had our COVID stuff, we had all the paperwork and we got to Korea immediately. You know, they we went into the, the briefing room and then they gave everybody COVID tests again and put everybody in the COVID barracks. Now, in the COVID barracks was like two. It was like one barracks room with two rooms and they put mm-hmm. four beds in there. And I remember my kids was like. This is amazing, you know, because they they never stayed in the barracks. They mm-hmm. this is whatever. Mm-hmm. For me and my wife, I, my wife was like, "This is crazy," <laughs> you know. She was saying like, "The room's not clean," but luckily we had everything we needed inside of our tub box. Tough you box. know, everything she she got us. So you know, we got to cleaning up the room. We put the two twin beds together to make it a full size bed, so okay. me and her can stay on one bed. And you know, they gave us a Wi Fi puck and everything for the room, so it was it was good. But then you know, like I said you trying to do 14 days in a room with just your family. And isn't that the size of a house? You know, mm. it's the size of a, a, a room room, you know? So 
but luckily we got the ETP and we was able to come out the room and, and I was able to go in process and, and we got a Texas Roadhouse there. The first place we went was Texas Roadhouse. Texas Roadhouse in Korea? To- come on. Texas, because we couldn't leave post. It was COVID. Uh, they wouldn't yeah. let you leave because uh, until yeah, you finished your 14 days, you couldn't leave post. Yeah, okay. So you was yeah. only subjected to everything. And we're walking through, I remember us walking through the PX and I'm just like amazed. Oh my gosh. Because I was just in the COVID barracks for like five days before they released me on the mm-hmm. ETP. So I'm like walking through, the, I'm walking through PX like amazed, you know, and we went to Texas Roll House and we tried to do stuff around the installation mm-hmm. until we was able to release. And then we was able to go out and get a house off post and stuff like that. Nice. So, but coming to Korea has definitely been amazing. Um, you know, uh, being assigned to my current organization um, was definitely, uh, you know, I feel like I have some of the, the best leadership um, supportive wise you know, that, that allowed me to, to really enjoy. Cause coming from being a drill, we have no time to come into here where I had an abundance amount of time to really take my family on vacations. We'd have been to Philippines. We've been to Thailand. We've been to Bali, to Bali we, yeah. you know, we, we went everywhere, uh, here in Korea. And then, you know, just to be able to enjoy and spend time with my family and then still do my work mm-hmm. was amazing. You know? So, um, a lot of people have that negative stigma of coming to Korea that as if you're constantly in war or something's always happening, you know, you know, there's threats no matter where you go. There's alerts no matter where you go mm-hmm. in the world, you know, mm-hmm. um, but Korea is no different. Um, there's more activities to do. I didn't even know they had amusement park. They got three different amusement parks here, wow. you know, and they're all amazing. So I, 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 it, I recommend people coming to Korea because I think uh, it also provides you a, a, a more cultural understanding, you yeah. know, when you get here. I love the food. Um, I loved a lot of the opportunities. The yeah. fact that my family got to see different Asian countries uh, while we've been here was amazing. Great. You Great. know, um, so I, I recommend it. I, yeah. I will recommend Korea 10 times over. And then uh, I'm going to show you this picture of the significance of this picture. Okay, so the significance to this picture, like I said before, um, I, I, I'm from D.C. and I, I had a GED that the, the Army helped pay for. And, and, you know, this was important because I received my bachelor's degree mm-hmm. in logistics and transportation nice. management mm-hmm. um, in this picture. And the fact is, so um, my family came out to support and, this, you know, with my, my whole unit, actually my whole organization came out there from my brigade CSM to... My the warrant officer I worked with, um, and and everything like that. So I had a great support system, but I I wanted my family to be there because when my wife, so my wife also, um, what people don't understand is when in the military they help you with education. You know, um, they they pay for your education. So I was able to use tuition assistance to get to get my bachelor's degree. Mm-hmm. But they don't only just take care of you; they take care of your family as well. Yep. My wife was able to get her bachelor's degree nice. and her master's degree nice. um, at no cost of her because wow. of all the resources that's afforded to spouses um, mm-hmm. to the military. So she has a bachelor's and a master's, which motivated me to go back and continue with my bachelor's. So when I got mine, my kid to me, I was able to promote education in a fan. I mean, a household. Mm-hmm that I didn't grow up in, you know, like my mom had to work hard for everything. So she didn't get to go to school and and do a lot of things. So she didn't have the job that paid for her to go to get her education like I was, you know? Mm -hmm. So uh, I I got my hard work ethics from my mom 
you know, to go hard. And, and my mom still has that to this day. Whereas though my educational drive came from my wife, gotcha. um, who not only raised our kids, but also was able to get her education, get her bachelor's, get her master. I went to sleep some nights and woke up and she was still doing work. And then, you know, when I flew to uh, San Diego to watch her graduate and I watched her cross the stage because that was the first for both of us, you know, mm -hmm. um, it drove me to keep going. Nice. So at this at this point, I wasn't even going to do a ceremony. Mm -hmm. I was just going to get my paperwork. But my wife's like, no, you need to do a yeah, ceremony. Nice. The ceremony isn't for you. The mm -hmm. ceremony is for your boys. Nice. And the fact that my sons were front row watching me get a bachelor's degree um, was amazing because I now set up a plateau that they now have to look at and say, I want to climb to that with my, with my, like my dad did, mm -hmm. like my mom did. So, um, you know, it was, it was very emotional uh, for me because I've never got to cross the stage before. I've never got to receive a degree other than military PME. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but to do this now on a civilian side, this was something for me, you know, something that I can now, if the aren't, if I left the military today, yep. I have you a bachelor's take, degree. Yeah, so you know, so, so basically, I don't have I don't have debt and stuff like that from it. Yeah, so and then you hit the the nail on the head. Like um, sometimes we we lose focus on what the army has to give us in terms of education and even to buy a house like a VA loan or VA loans, etc. In this case, you're taking you took the opportunity on all those um, you know advantages that army is giving you not only for you for your family and for your boys soon because like they have GI bills and all the stuff that they can utilize so I think the piece of advice that you can give if a soldier is watching this podcast or listening to this podcast is like hey ask for this uh, you know resources they're out there like sometimes we just don't know where they are or they we don't we're just ignorant to it but there's plenty of like uh, incentive that we can use towards, for example, a bachelor's degree like yours. Of course, you know, and what I would say is that, you know, um, yes, okay, the military has its, its ebbs and flows. You know, it has its, its ups and downs, its, its trials and tribulations or however you want to say it. Mm -hmm. However, you know, there are many resources and benefits because, again, when I was when I was in D.C., you know, the, the military already opened up the doors by giving me a GED. I mean, not giving me one, but paying for me to paying. go take the class, mm -hmm. uh, uh, paying for me to take the test and, and getting the GED. Um, and then for me to get in the military and they not only make uh, get my wife a bachelor's, help her with her bachelor's, help her get her a master's, help me get my bachelor's. And I'm five classes away from completing my master's right now. Um, and, and completely debt free of all of it. You know, if you look at today's society and everyone is going to going to college, when they graduate college, they have debt. They have to pay these things back, you know, college loans and things like that. There are many resources within the military that allow you to um, to set your family up for success, yeah. not just yourself. And then, like you said, VA loans on buying houses and things like that. There are many uh, programs and opportunities that are afforded to yeah. service members. Um, to to give you a more uh, you know promising better way of life, definitely, if that definitely. is. But with everything, they do have their trials and tribulations, yep. so you do have to go through it sometimes. Yeah, so definitely. And, and again, uh, yeah, Sign Newsom says it's not, it's free. It's not really free because we have to pay with time, like right. So if you finish, uh, we owe some time back to the army. But if you're making this as a career. I mean, if you do two years uh, in your contract, 
you know, and they'll they'll pay your bachelor's or your master's is better than owning owning like fifty like fifty grand from the gecko and the civilian sector, right? So I, I think and that's the first thing. The second thing is like always I always advise to anyone that comes to the army, get you need to understand or you need to know what you want to get out of the army, right? And then everything you get in the army get something that translates to the civilian sector. Just in case when you hung up the uniform or you retire or you say, hey, this is not for me. I just want to get out of the army into three years, four years. I can actually do something with what I gained from the army, experience, experiences, leadership, uh, bachelors, etc., And I can translate that to the civilian sector. Of course, of course. And then last speech, uh, hey, uh, it's been great conversations. I know some appreciated. We t- we are towards to the end of the the podcast. I want to show you. You mentioned that you travel across the continent while while in Korea. I want to show you the next picture, and then we'll be closing out. This one. All right. So this picture here, that's me and my family in Bali, and uh, my family in the back, not the monkey. The monkey came with the picture. Yeah, they actually set the monkey on my wife's lap, and then uh, and then he's like reaching for something. So it's a pretty cool picture. Yeah. Um, so and I chose this picture because I wanted to end uh, my segment of this is uh, just emphasizing my family. As you see, I talk a lot about my family, and I think um, throughout my whole career, and 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 from from civilian to soldier to senior leader, um, I, I wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for. Uh, my family backing me, you know, and I think um, you you have the best situation when you have that support situ- uh, uh, that support system mm-hmm. established. Mm-hmm. And 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 again, um, I have an awesome teammate. Um, my wife is definitely an awesome teammate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have two wonderful kids who uh, who have understanding because, like, when I had to deploy, they had to be understanding. I have a teammate that has to now assume the roles and responsibility that I had to do when I'm in my absence. Um, so that means taking care of my kids. That means being there at all the things that I cannot be a present at. So uh, having an awesome teammate goes a long way. And, and I couldn't, I couldn't end this without acknowledging how, how uh, I have that, that wonderful support system. Nice. Is it, do, do, is it always a, uh, the perfect situation? No. Mm. She's she's she gives me great advice. Do I always want to hear that great advice sometimes? No. But guess what? I know that it's going to come from a genuine location. I know it's coming from a genuine spot. And all she wants is the best for not just me, but for the family in its entirety. So um, I, 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 I want to leave with that and say, you know, um, I have that that great family embellished in that uh, nice support system. And, and I'm very appreciative nice. of everything that that my family. So who you see today wasn't who I was back then. Uh, but what you see today is a product of the support system yeah. that I do have. And and I appreciate that. So yeah. And def- definitely, definitely. Uh, we just want to congratulate for all the great stuff you're doing. Uh, and, and again, sometimes we, as a service members, uh, we need some, some backups, like our, our back, you know, back, backbones, like the NCOs are the backbone of the army, right? So sometimes, you know, off the uniform, we have our family, our backbones, because they're supporting us for what we do. And sometimes they have to understand and then they'll understand because in your case, you're doing all this for your family. And we can like just very notable and marked throughout everything you mentioned that your boys and your and your family, your mom, uh, your wife and et cetera. 
And, and then, man, so appreciated the time. Uh, great talk, great conversation. One hour and 43 minutes of conversation. Cool. Didn't, yeah, it didn't <laughs> feel like, uh, but it was a great podcast and this, uh, you know, highlighting. And now I'm going to ask you the question um, to close out. So uh, what what advice you, you will uh, give to anyone that's here in this podcast that is looking towards joining the armed forces as a whole and they don't understand the system and then that's the first well, question would... that's the first question and the second question is what advice you will give to the service members junior enlisters they're, they're watching this podcast on their career that's the two questions so so the first one i would say what i would say is this uh you know Making a decision to join the military is is a is a big is, is a big decision. You know, it's a big decision. It's ultimately going to be one of the most important decisions you make. Um, but if you walk into the doors with the thought process of "I'm here to be a part of a team," um, I'm here to uh, to add value to what's going on in in the current uh, U.S. situation and things like that, um, then you'll be just fine. Um, you know, like I said, I, I've been I've been on the the end of it, of you know, the beginning of my career of of not knowing or wanting to join for all the wrong reasons, for all the you know glam and the glamour of of things like the cars and the houses. But then I understood the teamwork and the leadership and and all the other aspects along the way. So I would say that you know educate yourself, uh, figure out why you really want to do it, and, and use that as your driving force force to move forward. Um, and then as far as, uh, the second question, what was the second the, question? The list, uh, yes. And advice to the junior enlisted or junior soldier that listening to this podcast, uh, on their career. So I would say, you know, if, advice to them is, um, be you, be you. Um, that is very important because like I tell anybody being you is what gets you in the room. Being you is what gets you in the room. You're already in the uniform. You're already in the seat. Be you, be that, uh, that, that, uh, servant leader, um, you know, lead with passion. If you believe in something, uh, follow through with it. You know, um, a lot of times we, we, we go into these things, we go into these situations and we're willing to fold on those morals that we have developed for ourselves. But people are watching you as you do these things. Mm -hmm. So be, being you is what got you in the room. Being me is what got me on this podcast. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, don't change you uh, when it got you already where you are. And yes. like I said, uh, lead with lead with passion and, and and be committed to to the success of not just you, but those that are watching. Hey, again, Sanusen, appreciated the time. Thank you for this conversation. I know we have like different hours ahead. I'm in Virginia. You're in Korea. We're like 12 hours away. Um, but again, thank you for taking your time. Um, when I approached you that I was doing this, um, transition from a podcast, you say yes, like with no hesitation. I do appreciate that. And again, uh, I explained to you why I did the switch and, um, I'll explain later to, to the audience. Um, but again, season two from episode one, well done with Sian Newsom, the service journal. I appreciate the time at this, at this moment. Thank you. And then I'm going to close out here um, real quick. Hey, so everyone, thank you uh, for watching this episode or listening. Uh, for Don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the thumbs up uh, on this episode. If you're watching in YouTube, 
uh, subscribe to the channel. And then if you're uh, listening, uh, you can listen on, on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And again, thank you. We're going to continue bringing more episodes as they come. And again, if you want to participate, you want to collaborate, you can send me a message and then we'll bring it to the show. And it's until the next time. Appreciate it. Let's go.